You're listening to Beautiful Bailout Radio, the podcast where we talk to the movers and shakers in the world of social enterprise. We are grateful to live in Treaty 1 territory, the original lands of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota and Dene peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. I am your host, Joan Suzuki. Today's episode is entitled, Social Enterprises Are Disruptive. Paradigm Shift is Coming. The discussion will surround the notion of change. We are in the midst of change. A paradigm shift, as Sean Loney is apt to describe it. A paradigm of problem-solving, solutions, and community strength. There are two themes in today's program. We will look at the broad picture of change in attitude and the way things are done in the social economic development sector. This will also include how Sean Loney and Lucas Stewart, through their new social enterprise Encompass, are providing the tools to facilitate the problem-solving relationship between social enterprise, government, and the new player on the block, foundations. The other theme is around local food social enterprise in urban contexts, here in Winnipeg and in Fredericton, New Brunswick. While in Fredericton, Sean spoke with the Grand Dame of Social Enterprise, Wendy Keats. Wendy helped found the New Brunswick Cooperative Enterprise Council and has been involved in community development for 40 years. So here I am in New Brunswick, Fredericton, with Wendy Keats, the legendary Wendy Keats. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she works with the New Brunswick Cooperative Enterprise Enterprise Council. Council. And uh, it's been a super interesting day today, and uh, Wendy has been involved with a lot of different projects in in New Brunswick. Like, what what kind of work do you do? Um, community economic development for about forty plus years now. Community development in the early years, but community economic development in the last fifteen or twenty. So when you look back on your career, Wendy, you see what do you uh, what are you most proud of? Um, I think what I'm really excited about is the changes that have occurred at the community level, where no longer is the attitude about begging and borrowing um, starting to change into more of um, a mindset around the value that community brings. So when you look back on your 40 years, do you suspect the next 10 or 20 years to be different? Like, are you mm-hmm. feeling more optimistic? What, what, how do you feel about what's about to transpire? Well, I'm a firm believer in Naomi Klein's shock doctrine. I don't think anything is going to significantly change until it has to. And um, climate change is going to be the big change maker. Uh, 
And so part of that formula of change um, is that people have to be ready for it when it happens. So I think that's what I see happening is this growing mass of people who believe in a different way of doing things and they're um, getting more, I don't want to say powerful because that, that, that just, I don't know, has all these negative connotations, but certainly they're growing in strength and in strategy around um, alternatives and a different way of life and when others wake up to because they're going to have to um, then I think that there's going to be solutions that are there ready and waiting for them so I think maybe that's what I'm most proud of is just playing a little part in creating the um, that community strength that I think exists there that is perhaps the best kept secret in the country. There's reason to be. We're, we're ready. The sector's ready. Yeah, the sector's ready. Tell me a bit about this uh, food project that, uh, oh. I, this sounds very exciting, New Brunswick is uh, really taking leaps and strides ahead in uh, in local food. Yeah, that's really exciting. And <clears throat> Excuse me, you know, when you talk to people that have been entrepreneur, entrepreneurs for a long time, I think that uh, what they tend to tell you is that they learned the most from their mistakes. And so that was really the origin of CANBE, Cooperation in Agri-Food New Brunswick, uh, where it was a group of people that for a very long time had struggled with the solutions, uh, you know, trying to find solutions around local food issues and had tried different things and failed ultimately I guess and that's probably not even the right way but let's just say they weren't sustainable but they learned so much during that period of time so uh, a lot of those people came together in a collaborative manner and looked at you know really what did what had they learned and now what were the opportunities based on the things that they had learned and so they developed the um, Corporation in Agri-Food MD. Uh, they partnered with government, so this was timely. I think that's another thing about community economic development is that you have to be ready to pounce when the political will is there or the investment is there. And so they set up um, the complete infrastructure, starting with the coordination of supply that would supply institutional uh, food services, uh, publicly owned, so schools, universities, colleges. So are schools towns. required to purchase a certain amount of They uh, are now 30%. Wow. Uh, cafeteria food is uh, has to be local food. I'm not aware of any other jurisdiction in Canada. I think we're a, the only yeah. ones actually that do this, and so they have the whole infrastructure set up now to get it from the producer so we're not just talking about fresh fruit neither um, there's all the whole value added uh, component to it um, so you saying that uh, I should be a fan of vertical integration no <laughs> this sounds like that's this is a co-op model of vertical integration yeah <laughs> I thought of it that way that's, before that's pretty cool yeah yeah so yeah, no, they. Uh, so it's still in early stages, and 
Uh, it's, I guess it's maybe been about a year, so they've been setting up their storage facilities and distribution center and developing the market. So there's a lot of work involved. Um, but I think it's a model for the rest of the country. Wow, very exciting. Yeah. Wendy Keats, I've been very uh, impressed with hanging around with you today in uh, in Fredericton, and I know you do work all over the the province and and in the country too. And thanks for introducing me to these exciting ideas, and look forward to connecting again soon. Thanks, Shaw. Well, we're gonna have you back. Okay, here we are once again in studio with Sean Loney and Lucas Stewart and the post-interview portion of our beautiful Bailout Radio podcast. Uh, Sean, Wendy describes you as a dream weaver, an innovator, and a social entrepreneur extraordinaire with your feet firmly planted in the realities of today. And in, over her many years in the community development and economic community development sector, she has witnessed really hopeful shifts in the attitudes about the value community brings. Um, I wanted to ask you how you see the emerging alternatives and different ways of life and how you named this podcast, Social Enterprises Are Disruptive, paradigm shift is coming what were you thinking ah great question joan well i i love talking to people like wendy because um, i got involved in the social enterprise sector in 2006 and she's saying she's got 40 years so the first question i I like to ask is well do you see seems to me that we're really poised that something exciting is going to happen, but is that just because I'm less experienced? And when whether it's Wendy or any of her other colleagues that have been around for working in the sector for a long time, they are saying something is very different now than even a few years ago. And um, so I, I talk in the book about what it is that's different. And in particular, um, I think there's a recognition that social enterprises are disruptive. We can outcompete the private sector uh, because we're delivering extra benefits. And uh, using the example of purpose construction in, in Winnipeg, uh, when government Manitoba housing is hiring from purpose or um, getting contracts completed by purpose, they're not just getting the painting and drywalling, they're also getting a reduction in incarceration or reduction in social assistance. And so governments are saying, why wouldn't we want to do that? But the book talks a lot about that is brand new. When I wrote Army of Problem Solvers, I did not even use the word foundations. And now they're engaging with us and we're using their clout and their money, their investment money, not just their granting money in order to move things forward. So people can read more about that in the book um, also though these tools that are that are available now that essentially turning governments from a, a funder into into a customer and um, when you when you combine all of these I, I like to compare it to technical innovation where what's really happening is a convergence of a bunch of things at the same time and that is what's going to cause a significant uh, increase in market penetration of what I call the solutions economy. Very exciting time that I, I think we're living in right now. Hmm. Lots to, lots to digest there. Um, 
Wendy Keats says when you when others wake up, there's going to be solutions there ready and waiting. Lucas, uh, your new social enterprise with Sean, Encompass Co-op, takes you from starting up new social enterprises to helping others learn from your experiences and helping implement the tools. Can you give us a snapshot of some of the services Encompass Co-op provides? Sure. Um, we set up uh, Encompass Co-op um, because at one point we became uh, semi-professional tour guides, touring um, all kinds of folks around the very successful um, operations that were operating here in Manitoba. And we um, wanted a way to, we needed another vehicle um, for us to be able to spread um, all of the, the good uh, practices that we had, uh, we had um, uncovered so far. As well as uh, we wanted Encompass to be a home for um, other um, practitioners. There's lots of there's lots of folks supporting social enterprise, studying social enterprise, analyzing social writing reports for social enterprise uh, about social enterprise. But um, there's actually a, a fairly small portion of people who are actually practicing it. So Sean and I would would uh, call ourselves practitioners in that sense, and um, we wanted to provide supports um, as well as as well as uh, be have a forum to be able to push uh, forward our um, uh, our the the message of social enterprise uh, and what it is looking like. Um, so uh, Encompass Co-op is able uh, is set up to provide um, uh, speaking engagements on the subject. Uh, there's training that is that is uh, specific to government bureau uh, bureaucracy, uh, which is available in workshop in workshop forms. Um, uh, there's also training that can be done with boards of uh, directors. We offer a boot camp as well for burgeoning social enterprises on the other end. And uh, a general support and being able to um, help practitioners interact with different levels of government, um, as well as how best to move their social enterprises forward. Mm-hmm. That reminds me, Sean, you were mentioning something upcoming about 10 steps. Yes, so we will have a, a piece coming out, the 10 steps to starting a social enterprise, where we've talked to act practitioners across the country and asked them, well, what are the steps you took to, to getting your social enterprise going and, and keeping it going? And um, I think people will be very surprised to see, for example, a business plan isn't on there. Uh, it's not part of the, the 10 steps. It's just not the, the route that we generally take when we get social enterprises up and running. And getting them going is uh, much easier than people think. I think they're a bit intimidated. So that the idea of mm-hmm. having this information out there is to, to encourage people to just get starting, get started. And, uh, and certainly we'll be adding a, a podcast around around that too so people can 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 really have access to that information and to echo the part about encompass i think it's really twofold that we're training governments to create markets for solutions and we're also encouraging nonprofits to become more mm-hmm. entrepreneurial and i think you put those two things together and boom you have the disruptive 
problem right. solving paradigm emerging. Yes, and you've got your foundations partner too. It's kind of like a three-parter. Yes, it is. Yeah, the foundations, uh, there's 10,000 of them in Canada. 10,000, and they have $73 billion in assets. And interestingly, they're required by law to grant out to nonprofits 3.5% of that $73 billion on an annual basis. That's it. So the other 96.5% is in the private sector. And so what Beautiful Bill is really talking about is how do we gain access, how do nonprofits gain access to that 96.5% and how can we help foundations uh, really do more to meet their, their mandates. And it's a real uh, aligning of uh, all of our, our mission statements and doing more together. Mm-hmm. Uh, to bring it back to Wendy Keats, uh, she is proud of the infrastructure being built around local food issues in New Brunswick. Are there any other examples you can think of? Yeah, Joan, that's a great, a good question. And we're pretty... Uh, Excited, happy to be in Winnipeg, where the University of Winnipeg uh, has engaged a social enterprise called Diversity Foods. So instead of um, giving contracts to industrial agriculture, they are they, they've engaged Diversity Foods, and two thirds of the their food purchases, as I understand, are from sustainable food producers that don't use. Um, chemical fertilizers and they don't use synthetic um, uh, pesticides and because of that it's a significant reduction in fossil fuel consumption but it's also a real boon to the to the local economy and we need more of these small local farms in Manitoba there's been quite a, a hollowing out of people in rural Manitoba and it's interesting to to see that uh, university procuring food can actually do a lot to to uh, to reduce fossil fuel consumption in the food industry and also to return people to 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 um, to rural Manitoba uh, in addition to that um, it's very interesting that one of the other outcomes that the university is valuing in terms of being able to provide you know good nutritious food to their on their campus um, the other, uh, deliverable that diversity food would be able to uh, service the university with is local employment, local targeted employment. So diversity foods uh, consciously makes an effort to recruit and employ and retain uh, and also pay people a fair wage. Um, and these are folks for, these are folks from the neighborhood in which the university is located. So being as a corporate citizen, the university has um, established that these are part of its values and they're going to um, be able to use just their normal procurement process mm-hmm. to enact that, to enact those values. It's very smart. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the link between Wendy's talking about in New Brunswick and what's happening in the University of Winnipeg. They're both examples of governments. If you want to think of University of Winnipeg as an institutional government, and they're creating markets for solutions. And that is, that's a game changer. When instead of managing problems, we've got governments creating markets for solutions. Mm-hmm. Well, I, there's part of me that is really excited to live in Winnipeg and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, 
you're here. <laughs> you guys are here. <laughs> University of Winnipeg is uh, walking the talk, so that's a good thing. Yes, it is. <laughs> Beautiful bailout. <laughs> <laughs> Lucas Stewart sounds the final note of our discussion, highlighting diversity food services at the University of Winnipeg. The well-established social enterprise that functions like a for-profit business, but maximizes social, cultural, economic, and environmental well-being for our community. Similarly, we heard Wendy Keats describe the infrastructure built around local food in her neck of the woods. Sean Loney has been in the social enterprise sector for over 10 years, and Wendy Keats for over 40. They see the paradigm shift coming. Wendy is cautiously optimistic about the prospects of significant change and predicts climate change is going to be the big change maker. The way she puts it is, when a mass of people who believe in doing things differently reach a certain threshold. She knows solutions are ready and waiting. In our post-interview discussion, we expanded on the themes of change. Sean is super excited about the changes he is witnessing in the social enterprise sector. Sean says social enterprises are disruptive because they can outcompete the private sector and solve problems on many different fronts, including those that are linked to the environment. Lucas Stewart described at length Encompass Co-op, the new social enterprise that will serve to support practitioners of social enterprise. Sean and Lucas share their knowledge and experience and give tools to fledgling social enterprises, train governments to create markets for solutions, and encourage nonprofits to be more entrepreneurial. Sean says the purpose of the book, The Beautiful Bailout, is really to gain access to a new source of investments foundations, and align with their common missions. It is the convergence of these conditions that will allow the solutions economy market penetration. It is about creating a new economic paradigm that solves problems and saves government money. An upcoming podcast will feature The Loney Companion, 10 Steps to Starting a Social Enterprise. So read Sean's book. It is available for purchase through www.beautifulbailout.com and check out our blog at beautifulbailout.com. Follow Sean on Twitter at Sean Loney. That is S 
H-A-U-N-L-O-N-E-Y. Please, stay with us on Beautiful Bailout Radio, the exploration of the evolving space of what is possible. Beautiful Bailout Beautiful Bailout Beautiful Bailout Radio